morning, welcome. It's good to see you all here this morning. If it's your very first time here at Connect, welcome. Glad you have chosen to join us today. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, for those of you who've been coming a while, you'll know that earlier this year, I got to embark on a little adventure and uh, was asked to join a group of other pastors and leaders uh, and take a trek up to the base camp of Mount Everest. It was absolutely incredible. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, collectively, between the nine of us, we raised um, some funds through our uh, trek to help reach children who are in poverty, children in different difficult places around the world. It was just a brilliant experience. But I can remember, this has to have been at least 18 months, maybe longer, when I got the original phone call to invite me to join the group on this trip. The guy who led the trip, his name was Greg. He, uh, he emailed me, said, hey, do you have time to chat on the phone? Uh, I'd love to tell you about this wonderful opportunity and see if you'd be interested in coming. So he calls me up. We actually Zoom called, FaceTimed. And uh, in the middle of the conversation, he says, so, so I'm doing this, this trek. I'm getting some other leaders. And we're going to go to the base camp at Mount Everest. We'll get to stand and look up at the biggest mountain in the world. He goes, are you interested? I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. And he definitely sold it to me on the, uh, the beauty of the trip, how incredible it will be, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So I was like, yep, count me in, I'm going. Well, I, I checked with my wife first, and uh, she said, yeah, you, you can go. So I said, I said yes, I'm in, uh, count me in. But um, a couple of days later, maybe a week or so later, once I'd kind of signed on the dotted line and said, I'm in, I get an email from the company that we're going with who hosts the trek, the people who are going to guide us up through the mountains. And attached to this email is a little handbook that basically lays out what I'm getting myself into, that lays out all the ins and outs of this trek. And I've understood now that Greg didn't want me to read that before asking whether I wanted to go on this trek or not. Because listen to some of the, this is just a few paragraphs from that manual that I received via email. Um, it explained that this trek was an activity level five. I'm not sure that I've even done an activity level one before this, okay? And I've signed up for the activity level five. On this trek, you'll be hiking seven to nine hours a day, mostly at elevations above 12,000 feet. The trails are extremely difficult, and this type of terrain combined with the altitude makes it a challenging experience. You need to be in excellent physical condition, uh-oh, and have similar previous experience of hiking and sleeping at high altitudes. I didn't have a lot of experience of hiking. I didn't have a lot of experience of sleeping at high altitudes, other than maybe a bunk bed once. I mean, I wasn't used to, like, sleeping at high altitudes, Trekking at high elevation carries unique risks. Not everyone should go due to the high extreme altitude. Anyone planning to visit high altitude should be aware of the demands and risks involved. Be in excellent health, there we go again, and be prepared by rigorous training. We require a signed, completed physician certificate in order for you to participate in this trip. What have I signed up for? I've got to go to a doctor and get clearance to go on this trek. Give yourself at least six months prior to your trip to get into your best possible cardio condition. I took a year because it really took me a long time to get into good cardio condition. 
More serious effects of altitude sickness can include permanent brain damage, potentially fatal high-altitude pulmonary edema, high-altitude cerebral edema, HAPE. Um, produce, this produces liquid on the lungs, can cause breathlessness even when resting. You feel fatigued and weak. You may feel like you're suffocating. Uh, haste involves excess fluid on the brain, causing brain swelling. You may experience confusion, lack of coordination, and possibly violent behavior. <laughs> What have I signed up for? I mean, I'm like terrified now reading this thing. I know for a fact that if Greg had led with that, I would not have done this trip. But oh no, Greg says, it'll be wonderful. You'll see Mount Everest. It'll be so cool. And I'm like, yeah. You know, we've been talking over the last few weeks about a sermon that Jesus uh, gave. And it was, we think of it now, we call it now the Sermon on the Mount. These people gathered and he started to list these wonderful attributes, these wonderful experiences of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He was talking about this brand new kingdom that he'd come to establish. And, and the more he went, I think the crowd must have been thinking, yes, I want to be a part of this kingdom. This sounds amazing. And over the last six or seven weeks, we've, we've heard what it means to be a person in this kingdom. And, and it's of no surprise that the crowd that day were thinking, yes, I want to be a part of this kingdom. And just when he had them, he introduces number eight in what we've been looking at in this series on the Beatitudes. And I have to wonder if at that point, everyone was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not so sure now. <laughs> you had me at the first seven, but I'm not sure I like the sound of eight. Because the introduction to this message that he gave were these eight blessings, these eight uh, characteristics of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in this brand new kingdom. And the people loved them. Because much of what Jesus was talking about was completely upside down to what they'd heard, taught, and preached up to that point. It went against the, the narrative of the day. And, and there were people who felt like they never could belong, who now realize, I can belong. God loves me. There is a place for someone like me, an outcast, an outsider. There's a place for someone like me in this brand new kingdom. This is wonderful news. We call them now the Beatitudes because they were, they were blessings of, of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus in this brand new kingdom. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. It was the idea that we come before Jesus realizing that actually we're poor in spirit because there's nothing we can do to separate this gap between us and God. God is perfect. We're imperfect. And it's this understanding of like, man, this is a, this is a poor place to be. When I realize this, I'm blessed because I, I give up trying in my own strength. I give up trying to be good enough. I give up trying to do everything I can because I realize my poor in spirit, my poverty in spirit has separated me from God. I'm blessed when I understand that. I'm blessed when I mourn. When I mourn, when, I, when I'm saddened by the fact that I'd had this relationship with God that I'd love to have, but because of the brokenness in my life, because of the things I do wrong, I'm separated. It causes me to mourn. I come to God with a meekness. I'm blessed when, when meekly I give up my pride, my humility, my determination to try and do all this in my own strength and say, God, I need you. I'm blessed when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, where I stand before God and say, God, I want a relationship with you. I understand that there's a separation here, but in my heart of hearts, I desire to be connected with my Creator. I have a desire to have this relationship with you. 
Because Jesus was explaining that he was the solution to the problem. His, his life and death and resurrection is what bridged that gap. And when we follow Jesus on this journey and come to that place of accepting him, we can have that relationship with restored. And then out of that restored relationship with God, we choose to live differently. We choose to live uh, differently than those around us. We, we become people who are merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. The merciful were the people who understood what it meant to have received God's mercy, to have been forgiven for the wrong things they did. It, it, it's that understanding that, God, I'm so blessed that you've forgiven me that I'm actually, it's changing the way I treat other people. I want to be more merciful to those around me because you forgave me so much. I need to forgive others. Blessed are the pure in hearts. The pure in heart, the, the folks who have realized, God, I, I, I'm pursuing this, this relationship with you where um, I want my heart to be full of you. From my heart, I want to find that purity to, to live like you, to follow after you. Blessed are the peacemakers. The people who understand that we have this peace is like a gift from God. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be afraid. Because when we understand how much God loves us and how much God wants to be in our lives, it gives us this sense of peace that the world in which we live will never give us. And then not only do we experience that peace, but as peacemakers, we take that peace into the world. And others who don't yet know Jesus are attracted to this idea and say, I want what you've got. I want to experience that peace in the midst of my anxiety and my fear of all that's going on in the world today. I want to experience that peace that I see in you. And all of these blessings so far, all these Beatitudes, I think the people at that time were thinking, man, this is upside down to what we've been taught up till now. But we love it. We love it. We're all in. Jesus, uh, yes, you, you, you've got me. I want to be a part of this new kingdom. And Jesus like, oh, but there's one more. <laughs> there's one more that I need to tell you about. And as he delivered this one more, the people probably felt a little bit like I did when I got that email from the company about the trek that I was going on. Because Jesus delivers this one more blessing. He says in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This wasn't the greatest news for the people to hear. The dictionary defines persecuted this way, to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict specifically, to cause to suffer because of belief. That's what persecution is when you're, when you're caused to suffer, even come under harm because of what you believe personally. And Jesus is saying, um, alongside all these other blessings, blessed are those who are persecuted. This wasn't hypothetical. This was, no, no, you will be persecuted. If you follow me, you will face persecution, but you'll be blessed. God will be with you here. He'll be with you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven when you face that persecution. So I wonder if in Jesus' time when the people heard that, they were like, oh, I liked the sound of a lot of the other ones. I'm not so sure I like the sound of that one. And today, 2,000 years later, as we reflect upon the teaching of Jesus, as we look at those words and we think, well, what does that look like in my life today? How do I understand what persecution means for me here in central Illinois in 2022? 
Because the reality is, we can see that there is persecution that goes on in the world today for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus. But for us, it tends to be something that we, we read about that happens in other places around the world where maybe Christianity isn't so well embraced. According to the organization Open Doors USA, this organization uh, monitors persecution of uh, Christ followers around the world. They tell us that over 360 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. According to their website, in just the last year, the last 12 months, 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,765 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. This is going on in the world in which we live today in places that maybe some of us have never been or will never go. But there are people who are suffering because of their Christian faith. When I did the trek earlier in the year, we got to go back to Kathmandu in Nepal before we left to come back to the States. And one of the ladies who was with us on the trip, she, um, she works with an organization that helps raise up and train pastors who, uh, Christian pastors who plant churches in India and Nepal. And she was able to um, connect us with a group and go along before we left to this graduation ceremony. We went to this place and saw over a hundred um, young men, young women who had become Christ followers and, and now had made the decision that they were going to commit their lives, not just to following Jesus, but to plant brand new churches around Nepal that would reach people and share with other people the good news of following Jesus. So for this year, they've been going through training, learning all about what it meant to, to plant churches, that kind of thing. And we got to be with them and to pray with them and to celebrate with them as they went through this graduation ceremony. Following the ceremony, the leaders there gave us the opportunity to sit with one or two of these people individually and hear their stories. I sat with men and women, Nepalese men and women, who, who told me when I discovered Jesus, when I made a decision to follow Jesus, I knew it was the right thing to do. It's, he's changed my life completely. But since then, my parents have cut all ties with me. I have no communication with my parents anymore. My siblings, they, I, I'm no longer in their lives. When I made a decision to follow Jesus because of their faith, they've cut me out completely. That's the kind of persecution these people face for following Jesus. We took pictures and videos, but the leaders asked if we wouldn't post them on social media because there was a genuine concern that someone uh, might see these and these people would at the very least get in trouble, maybe imprisoned, maybe even harmed in some way. Because they're living in a country where, a country where persecution for following, for following Jesus is real. So as you can imagine, I find it a little hard when I'll hear a Christian in America talking about something like the war on Christmas and the persecution we face as Christians when I compare it to what other followers of Jesus are having to deal with around the world. But even though we're incredibly fortunate to live in a country where our lives aren't at risk because of our faith in Jesus, we're going to discover this morning that this beatitude can be just as much for us today as it was for those people there in that first century, as it is for other Jesus followers around the world. Because let's be clear, when Jesus went through these beatitudes, he wasn't presenting to us a buffet of choices. Peacemakers, hmm, I'll, I'll take some of that. That sounds nice. And uh, meek, yeah, I, I think that'd be good. But uh, 
Persecuted? No, I'll pass on the persecuted. <laughs> I don't think I want that today. No, these were all attributes of what it looked like to follow Jesus. If, if as Jesus follows, we've made this commitment to, to follow him in this upside-down kingdom, then there is an expectation that we experience, we follow every single one of these blessings that he talks about. In fact, Jesus actually goes on in the next couple of verses. He doesn't do this with any of the other Beatitudes, but this particular one, he actually unpacks it a little bit more to explain exactly what he means by this because it really ties in with all the other ones leading up to it. Verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you may find yourself in a place where you're insulted, where you're persecuted, where people say unkind things about you, but rejoice because this has happened to others who have made a stand for God. So even if you don't live in North Korea or Afghanistan, Jesus is saying that follow him, following him can lead to persecution in our lives. And then immediately after that, he continues this thought and tries to explain why this will happen. This isn't some kind of random occurrence. If we choose to live differently in the way that Jesus is about to show us, then we could be setting ourselves up for persecution. And he explains what it looks like to live differently. In verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now for us this morning, salt and light aren't really that big of a deal. After lunch or after the service today, many of us will go out to lunch and wherever we go, there'll be a cellar full of salt. Is that an English word or is that an American word as well? Salt cellar, a little jar or whatever you call it. It'll be full of salt on every table in every restaurant we go to. You have a light in your pocket right now, a flashlight. Every one of you. Sometimes you use it to make and receive phone calls, but there is a flashlight in every one of our pockets. So, so salt and light is very readily accessible to all of us. That wasn't the case in Jesus' day. Salt and light were extremely valuable commodities. Salt was incredibly hard to come by. In fact, in ancient Rome, it was used as a form of currency because it was so valuable. It was also one of the only two ways to preserve food back then, especially meat. You could either smoke it or you could pack it in salt in order to preserve it. So for Jesus to say, hey, if you're going to be one of my followers, you're going to be like salt, that was a big deal. The same can be said of light. I could ask one of our guys or gals in the back right now to hit a button and this room would light up. But in Jesus' time, when the sun went down, darkness was the rule and light was the exception. So salt and light don't have the same value as it would have done in Jesus' time. But nevertheless, it's still a great analogy that Jesus gave. Because 2,000 years later, salt and light are still very distinct and very unique 
in the big difference that they can make. That was what Jesus was, was talking about back then. It's still the same today. Think about the difference that salt and light can make in our lives. Last week, uh, after church, my family and I, we went to uh, a local Mexican restaurant here in town, Blue Margaritas, and uh, we had a lovely lunch together. And uh, Casey and I, we got there first, so we did as we always do. We grabbed the salt and we salted the chips, because you can't eat your chips and salsa without some good salt on those chips. Well, then Will, my middle son, uh, he showed up a few minutes later. He slid into the booth, and before we could say anything, he grabbed the salt and he just salted those chips. <laughs> And then across comes Emma, my daughter, and uh, again, didn't have a chance to stop her. She grabs the salt, because that's what Jane's do, and she salts those chips. Before you know, we've basically got a basket full of salt with a few chips kind of <laughs> mingled in between. Every bite was like, <laughs> it was like so salty. But they were good. Salt makes a difference. When you salt food, you taste the difference. The same can be said of light. Light makes an incredible difference. A month or two ago, uh, my wife and I, we got to go on a little trip, and uh, one of the reasons for going on this trip is one of her favorite bands, a band by the name of Lumineers, uh, The Lumineers. Uh, you won't have heard of them if you're a country fan, but they're, they're a great band, and uh, she wants to see them live in concert, so we went to see them in concert, and um, in the middle of the show, there was one song they played, and they said, hey, everyone get out your phones and turn on your flashlights, and we did, and uh, so all around this arena... All around this arena, everyone had their phones out and their flashlights on. I actually thought that they'd turned the house lights on. It was so bright in that place. And I'm looking up and I'm realizing that all the brightness was just coming from those phones. Each individual tiny flashlight together lit up the whole room. That's the kind of difference that light can make. So the truth is that Jesus' illustration here still works well today because salt and light make a noticeable difference. They did back then, 2,000 years ago, and still to this day, salt and light make a noticeable difference. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for us today when we think about this idea of persecution. Nobody gets persecuted for being just like everybody else. Nobody gets persecuted for being just like everybody else. Jesus is saying, this upside down world that I'm calling you to be a part of, these characteristics I'm describing, he's saying, if you choose to follow me to be salt and light, it's going to come at a cost because you will be different. Making a decision to follow me will, will, will cause you to take a path that is different. Your decision to choose meekness over pride will set you against what the world we live in is like today. If you choose mercy over revenge, we live in a world where revenge is the order of the day. You wronged me, you wait till you see how much I'm going to wrong you back. But Jesus said, no, blessed are the merciful who choose mercy instead of revenge. It's taken you in a different direction. Choosing peace over fear. These decisions will put you in a place of swimming upstream, going against the culture. When you live this way, there is a noticeable difference. There should be a noticeable difference. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that as followers of him, like salt and light, we should be different. 
Salt changes the world in which it's in. Light changes the world in which it's in. Our difference should change the world in which we're in. We should be different. Now, let me clarify some things here this morning for you as, 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 as what that difference blah, 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 as what that difference should look like for us as followers of Jesus. When he said be different, he didn't mean we should carry ourselves in a morally superior way, looking down on outsiders. That was the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That's how they carried themselves. They, they used their difference as something of pride to look down on others. That's not what Jesus means when he said we should live differently. When he said be different, he also didn't mean that we should be judgmental. We should, we should take our differences and use them as a way to shout at those who don't follow Jesus for not living their lives in accordance with his guidelines. I was talking about that idea this week recently with some friends and um, I remembered when I was a kid, I had this little book. It was a book of stories called Aesop's Fables. Uh, you may have heard of that. Aesop was this uh, Greek storyteller who lived about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was famous for these uh, wonderful stories that he wrote that had these hidden, deep meanings to them. The Boy Who Cried Wolf is one of Aesop's fables. A lovely story, but with a very um, challenging application. The Tortoise and the Hare is another um, one of Aesop's fables. And this book I had had all these stories with lovely pictures that I used to enjoy reading as a, as a young boy. And there was one story that Aesop tells, um, and it was, between, it was about the sun and the wind. And he talks about the fact that the sun and the wind had a wager one day. And in this picture, there was this, this picture, I still can remember it now, even as a kid, this picture of the sun and the winds, they had faces and they were looking down on the, the path below and there on the path below was a man walking along wearing an overcoat. And the winds turns to the sun, he says, I bet, I wanna take a wager out with you, I bet I can blow so hard that I blow that guy's coat off. The sun says, you're on. So the wind goes first and he blows and he blows and he blows and the harder he blows, the tighter this guy holds onto his jacket. The wind continues to blow, trying to blow the guy's jacket off, but the guy holds on tighter and tighter. In the end, he gives up and the sun says, okay, my turn. And the sun just shines. That's all the sun does, just shines in the heat coming forth from the sun, you see the guy start to unbutton his coat. And the continual warmth and heat that comes from the sun eventually causes the guy to take off his coat altogether and throw it over his shoulder. And I know that Aesop's fables aren't biblical, but I think there's some of God's truth hidden in that story of what it looks like for God's Love in our lives, the impact that God's love can have on us as individuals, the impact that God's love can have on our friends and our family members as we make the choice to love them and to shine God's love into their lives. Because it's true, isn't it, that as, as Christians, we can be guilty sometimes of shouting loud at those outside of Jesus' kingdom, making them aware of all the things they are doing wrong and how immoral they are in the hope that the louder we shout, the more chance there will be of them changing. But like a coat, they hold on tighter to their views and their values that go against that of Jesus. And then they get upset with us for shouting at them. And when they get upset with us for shouting at them, we just respond and say, well, Jesus said I'd be persecuted. So I was expecting this. 
But we're not actually being persecuted for righteousness sake. We're being persecuted just for being mean and shouting loud. Instead of choosing to live our lives in such a way that shows others what following Jesus looks like. The values that we've chosen to embrace and the difference it makes in our lives as we love others and God's love for them shines through us like the sun and it shines on those who don't know them, causing them to want to remove the coat in their lives, to want to experience change. Because you see, when Jesus said, my followers are like salt and light, I think he means we are to be different, but different in a beneficial, difference-making way. I mean, think about it. Think of the attributes of salt and light. Imagine what Jesus was saying uh, in the essence of salt. I think he was saying, live the kind of lives that make other lives better, that helps keep good things from going bad and spices things up. Make people thirst for the truth about me and show people that following me enhances their life. I think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate when he said we should be like salt. When he said we should be like light, I think Jesus was saying, live the kind of life that will illuminate and help people find their way. A life that will shine my compassion into dark places of despair, that will bring truth to light. Live lives that will attract people to me because I am ultimately the light of life. I think that's what it means to live differently, to be salt and light that draws people to Jesus. But in his warning, Jesus said, we will face persecution. And I think he was preparing us for the reality that even though we have this amazing opportunity to be salt and light in the most wonderful, loving kind, uplifting way, not everyone will react favorably. Not everyone will react favorably to the wonderful attributes that salt and light have to give. I mean, think about it. The the Dead Sea, if you're familiar with this, the Dead Sea in Israel uh, is one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world. It's 34% salt. It's so salty that if you go into the Dead Sea, you just float naturally because of the amount of salt that's in the Dead Sea. And you know who knows for sure just how salty the Dead Sea is? Anyone who gets in the Dead Sea with a cut or an open wound or something like that, instantly they're like, oh yeah, it's salty because it's hurting right now. If you get salt on a wound, you know about it straight away. Because salt can irritate. It can have healing qualities, but it can also irritate and hurt. Light has wonderful qualities. You can light up a room with just a small flashlight on your phone. But that's not always ideal. There are some who don't love how the light can light up the room. Sometimes Casey and I will be in bed at night and I'll be drifting off to sleep. The room's dark and somehow she's on her phone but she manages to somehow switch on her flashlights and just lay in the next to me in bed. It just lights up my face just like that right as I'm drifting off. Light's good, but in that moment, I'm not a fan of light as it blasts me in my eyes. You see, while Jesus called us to be salt and light to show the benefits of what they have, not everyone reacts favorably to salt and light. And Jesus knew this. Listen to what he said in John chapter 3, verse 20. All who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. And as a Jesus follower here this morning, if you find yourself as a Jesus follower here this morning, 
You could live in the most kind and loving way, but in the most low-key way, you may make a choice not to participate in something else or in something that everyone else is participating in, and suddenly you face persecution. Suddenly you face pushback for making that decision. You may speak up against something that's wrong or you may refuse to do something you're asked to do that isn't right. And no matter how respectful, how non-judgmental you try to be about it, someone is gonna be upset with you. Someone's gonna let you know how they feel. It could cost you. In that moment, we, we look to this verse and we understand the idea that great is our reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We understand that when we make a stand for God, we can look all the way back to the prophets of the Old Testament and see that even when they made a stand, people pushed back against it. Because even though what these prophets were saying was life-giving and, and would bring change and would be beneficial, there were some who pushed back against it. They, they experienced persecution. In fact, it was so real back in the time of Jesus, persecution, that for the first 300 years of the church, there was so much persecution going on that there were some early church fathers that actually sought it out. They wanted to be persecuted. They actually felt like they weren't really following Jesus as best they could if they weren't experiencing some sort of persecution. Now, I don't think it's Jesus' intention for us to pursue persecution, but I do think we have to think about his words this morning and ask ourselves a really big question. Maybe this is the challenge for us today. When it comes to persecution, is there really anything different about me? When we're gauging the persecution that we're experiencing in our lives as, as Jesus followers, I think it brings us back to this really difficult question that we have to ask ourselves. Is there really anything different about me? If salt and light is different... If it brings change, if we're trying to do this in a positive way, but we're sometimes facing pushback, if I'm not experiencing that, is there really anything different about me? If no one is noticing that I'm different, why not? And I think that's where Jesus is challenging us this morning. As Jesus followers, what does it look like to be different in our world? And are we seeing things happen in our world because of the difference in us? So for you this morning, this might be a challenge to say, well, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. And I understand in, in making that decision to follow him that, that I will live differently. The last thing we would ever want to do here at Connect is say, hey, you should follow Jesus. You can carry on being just the same and nothing will change. But the reality is there will be changes that take place in your life. Many of those changes will encourage others to live differently and they'll think, wow, I want what you've got, that peace, that love. I, I love seeing that. But some of the change in you will face some pushback from people around you. But I still believe that many years ago, when I made that decision to follow Jesus, it was the best decision I made. The change he made in my life, I've got no regrets whatsoever. I'm still thankful to this day that that was the decision I made. Maybe you're here this morning, you are a Jesus follower. The second um, thing, the second group here, you, you have to kind of ask yourself, well, I haven't really been the salt and light that he intended me to be. So starting today, I wanna, I wanna recommit myself to, to making more of a stand for him in my life, to look different. 
So I came up with three just really practical ideas here just to throw out to you of what it would look like to be different. There are dozens and dozens I could have thought of, but I was trying to think of the context of Connect Church here this morning. What would set us apart? What would cause us to look different in the world in which we live as a Jesus follower, as a member here of Connect Church? One might be in the area of our generosity, the way in which we give. Statistics say that the average American will give 3% of their income to some kind of church or charity. That means for everyone who gives more than that, there's someone who gives less. I also discovered that 44%, nearly half of all Americans, they don't volunteer in any capacity at all. So if I want to be salt and light as a part of Connect Church, there's got to be something different about how I give of myself, my money and my time. You see, love for others expressed through generosity... I believe is a mark of being a follower of, dif- of Jesus. It makes us different. It sets us apart. And it's something we have to look into our lives and say, am I different than everyone else around me or am I just the same? Is this some- an area in which I'm different? If you're looking for a way to be different, if you're looking for a way to serve, give some of your time. I've got a great opportunity for you. Last Sunday night, we kicked off our youth group. It was the back to school fall launch. And um, I got to hear some amazing stories. So Luke tells me, our youth pastor, that um, he'd encouraged the students who were a part of our youth group to invite their friends and to launch the youth group for this fall. And uh, they had 80, over 80 students show up to their youth group last Sunday night. So that's amazing. It was just a real surprise. Over 30 middle and high schoolers came for the very first time. This means our current youth leaders are looking around saying, wow, this is a lot of students. We, we might need some help here. This is a great opportunity for someone to give some time and say, I want to help these ministry. I want to help pour into this next generation. I want to help make a difference. This would be a great place to be different than nearly 50% of Americans and say, no, I'm going to be different. I'm going to volunteer and give some of my time, some of my resources to make a difference. Maybe it's choosing to take a stand. Maybe it's choosing to take a stand in a situation that you feel passionate about this as a follower of Jesus. And and it may not be a popular thing to say, but but you're willing to stand up and say, no, I, I believe this. This is something I want to be known for. Obviously, I'm not Catholic myself, but I've been very impressed at some of the, the stands that the Pope, the current Pope, Pope Francis, has made since his time of being Pope. Some of the things he's said and done have been very controversial in light of all the other Catholic popes before him. It started from the beginning. When he first became Pope, he made a decision uh, not to live in the papal apartment on the top floor of the uh, Vatican's palace. Instead, he chose to live in a small two-room residence instead. His spokesman said that he was trying out this type of simple living in a communal building with other priests. And in doing so, he broke a tradition which is more than 100 years old. So for more than 100 years, popes before him had lived in this palace. And he decided, no, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to take a stand on what I believe. And that keeps coming out in things he says. In talking about wealth and poverty, he said, these days, there is a lot of poverty in the world. And that's a scandal when we have so many riches and resources to give to everyone. We all have to think about how we can become a little poorer. This isn't a popular thing for him to say. It causes ripples in the church. But he's taking a stand. He believes this and he's willing to step out and and say this. Maybe there's an area in our life we need to take a stand. And then finally, I think the way in which we can be the best at showing what it looks like to be different as a follower of Jesus is the way in which we love. 
You see, our love for one another is supposed to stick out as something unusual, something different in this world. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Time after time, we have an opportunity to love one another. And time and time, we, we mess up and we, we say something or we post something or we do something and, and we, we, we don't show the love that Jesus wants us to show for the world in which we live. Whether it's love for people outside of the church or love for people inside the church who think differently than us, we are called to love beyond all else. This is an area in which we can be different. We can look around and see our friends and our neighbors who judge and who treat people differently because they look different, think different. We have an opportunity to say, no, we're different than that. Because we follow Jesus, you'll see a difference in that in our lives. Our small groups are kicking off here in a few weeks' time. You're going to hear more and more about that over the next couple of weeks. I'd encourage you to sign up in the fall. We have an eight-week series on Wednesday nights where you can come and you can be a part of one of four great small groups that will be happening here every Wednesday night. It'll be great because you, I think, will find a way to grow in your faith, to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But one of the greatest things about being a part of a small group is you get to experience God's love. You get to give God's love. I love watching what happens in our small groups here in our church. I see people building community together. I see people who come from different backgrounds and and different ideas and and different places talking together and and growing to learn more about one another and about God through other people. I see situations where someone goes through a difficult time, maybe finds themselves in hospital and the group gather around them and they buy meals or they uh, pray for them. They do whatever it is to encourage and support those in the group. Whitney, at the end, is going to give some announcements. She'll tell us how you can sign up. But basically, on our webpage, there's a registration page. And in a few weeks' time, you can sign up. And I would so encourage you to be a part of our small groups this fall. But in conclusion this morning, let's all of us ask ourselves this question. Is there really anything different about me? I don't want to seek out persecution. I don't want to judge how good of a Christian I am by how persecuted I am. But if persecution is going to come when we choose to live differently, then then am I living differently in this world? You can make that choice right now where you are in your seat. I want to choose to live differently. Maybe it's choosing to follow Jesus for the very first time. Maybe it's making a fresh commitment to, to be more salt, more light. But asking ourselves the question, is there really anything different about me? The blessed life is a life that is given fully to Jesus. It's a different life, but it's a beautiful life. And when we follow these Beatitudes, when we choose to live differently, we may face some persecution, but I promise you it's the greatest life imaginable. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And Jesus, it amazes me that the words you spoke 2,000 years ago were relevant to the the folks you were talking to that day on that mountainside. And yet still, 2,000 years later, they speak to us. They challenge us. They're real to us, just as real to us today as they were back then. So help us, Lord, to follow these blessings, to look for what it means to be blessed because we have made this decision to follow you. Even if it leads to persecution in our lives, we understand that by being salt and light, there will come times where people will react against the salt. People react against the light, but we'll choose to live this way despite that. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.